Daniel chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, um, please turn to Daniel chapter 2. If you haven't, there's a whole bookcase full of them at the back. If you want to use your phone, there's no judgment here. Go for it. As long as you're not on Candy Crush. So we're just looking at verses 1 to 19. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me my dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show it its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king uh, has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except for the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him time, that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to, went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions, oh, sorry, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel went to his, uh, and his companions might uh, not be destroyed, and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your living, breathing word, that even though these stories we read are thousands and thousands of years old, written so long ago, they're still relevant, current, and applicable to our lives today because of what you've done, because you are the living, the only God, the God who is worth all our praise and worship. Amen. So, I was going to sit down, was I? I'm not going to. I'm not going to let you off that easy. Last week, uh, John, sorry, Yuri, can we turn me down a bit? Is that okay? Sorry. All I can hear is me. I don't like to listen to myself. It's bad enough that you have to. Um, Last week, John went through um, Daniel chapter 1, and he covered a lot of what I was going to cover, which is great. So he's done a lot of the introduction and and talked about a lot of the history, and he's talked about the names of the three uh, friends of Daniel. Can you remember them? Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Some do. This is good. This is good. Um, can you remember what they mean? That's the key bit. I wonder. Daniel. 
What does Daniel mean, Daniel? Good. I hoped you would. God is your judge. Our judge. My judge. Yes, God is my judge. Daniel and the others' Jewish names. Now, last time, uh, John spent a lot of time talking about the Jewish names compared to the Babylonian names. Obviously, Daniel and his friends were living in Babylon. But if you notice, look, this book was written, and it only refers to their Jewish names. And I think that's, that's a, a really sort of telling thing that we can look at. They were given Babylonian names, and literally, they were, every time they were talked to, every time they were called, every time they were spoken to, they were reminded of where they were and who they were and who their masters were. And it was a society that worshipped Baal. Now, Belteshazzar, Daniel's name in Babylonian, means who lays up treasures in secret. Kind of a mysterious name, isn't it, compared to actually God is my judge. But do you know what? The whole regime was ruled by this man, Nebuchadnezzar. And before we start, I'm just wondering, what is this story all about? Before we get stuck into this, there are so many characters in this story. We've got Daniel and his friends, we've got the Chaldeans, we've got the sorcerers, the magicians, we've got um, Nebuchadnezzar. Who is this, this story all about? Do you know what? John gave me the, the title for this, this message this morning. He said, oh, yeah, just, just, uh, I want you to just talk about the power of praying friends. I'm not even sure that p- prayer is the message behind this. Surely the story of this story and every other story we deal with in the Bible is a story of the Almighty God. And this is what I want to have a look at today. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon at the time, in fact, he was one of the mightiest, most feared kings in the whole world at the time. He was a tyrant. He was awful. But do you know what? He was troubled by bad dreams. Bless him. Even the mighty and powerful, can you imagine that? The mighty and powerful Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep. So he called in his sorceress. To say Nebuchadnezzar was a bad egg, um, it might be understating the case. Uh, do you know what? He, we know before the end of the book of Daniel, and this is, we know this in hindsight, don't we? But he tried to, he sent out the order to have all the magicians, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, not just killed, you can imagine that being killed, put to death, but no, 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 torn limb from limb, and then the houses destroyed, and really you could read that in two ways. It's either just destroy the buildings where they lived, or the houses back in those days could have meant their families, their ancestors, and everything else. It's literally, don't tear them limb from limb, but also destroy their families as well. And then before the end of the story, even though Daniel survives this, sorry, spoiler alert, then he's thrown into a lion's den to be eaten by the lions. And then when that doesn't work, this man throws him into a furnace that isn't just a furnace, it's been heated to seven times hotter than it normally is. Do you know, around the ancient world, people are still digging up archaeological evidence of how awful Nebuchadnezzar was. There's a story of, oh, we're finding out at the moment, that whenever Nebuchadnezzar and his armies would storm a country or a city or a, a town, then they would lay waste to it. They would ransack it. They would absolutely destroy it. And they wouldn't just, just take its treasures and everything else. They would literally take everything from it and then burn it to the ground. But not just burn it to the ground. You know what? Scientists at the moment are analyzing stones and bricks and tiles from some of these cities that were made of limestone, and actually they got so hot, the limestone isn't limestone anymore. It's actually decayed and turned into something else. It's just turned into lime. This man wasn't just happy with making people's lives miserable. He wanted to do it properly. And this violent man couldn't sleep. And he was troubled. Do you know what? If I was that violent, I don't think I'd be able to sleep either. But this was sort of 600-ish B.C., and we're told in the start of Daniel that this is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So this is possibly, now, we don't know, again, there's a lot of things we don't know about this story, maybe I just don't know, that in this story it says the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, Nebuchadnezzar would have been on the throne since his father, Nebuchadnezzar, passed the throne on. Now, we think 
that Daniel's training would have started when Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem or ransacked Jerusalem and took Daniel and his friends into the Babylonian society and trained them up in the ways of the Chaldeans. So we think that Daniel was two years into his training at this point. So the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign is probably the second year after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So we think, as degrees are at the moment, they're about three-year degrees. So we think he's about two-thirds of the way through his studies into the Babylonian laws and customs and the wisdom that they wanted to teach him. At the same time as destroying the temple in Jerusalem, it's thought that Nebuchadnezzar and his armies destroyed and killed about 100,000 Jews who were living in that area at the time. Now, and I don't like making comparison to historical figures too much, but the closest I think we've got at the moment is, do you remember Saddam Hussein? Do you remember that man? It seems like a long time ago that we, or that seems to be all we were talking about back in sort of 2000-ish. But Saddam Hussein saw himself as a second coming of Nebuchadnezzar. This was the way he kind of ruled and what he idolized and what he wanted to be. He wanted to turn Babylon, now modern-day Iraq, into sort of the former glory that Babylon was. In fact, when we do archaeological digs around Babylon, we find the bricks that Nebuchadnezzar built the city with, and it's got Nebuchadnezzar's name stamped on it. And actually, when Saddam Hussein started to rebuild some of the architecture and stuff around Iraq, we're still finding Saddam Hussein's name stamped on things. But do you know what? In spite of all this power, in spite of all this mania, in spite of all this, this uh, cruelty, as I keep saying, he couldn't sleep. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been able to not sleep? It's awful, isn't it? You can see why they use sleep deprivation as torture. If anybody's got young children or had young children, oh my goodness. So Nebuchadnezzar, as you do when you're an incredibly wealthy man, called for help from all his advisors. Now, he seeks help from the Chaldeans, and these are the king's men and philosophers. He also had magicians and sorcerers at disposal. Um, and you know what? It's, it's one of these things that we start to lose track of this. We talk about sorcerers and wise men and all this kind of stuff, but actually this here was actually dug up in... in um, now Iraq, then Babylon, and it's actually a model of a sheep's liver. Can't see it. You can see it. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, I can only see that screen. So this is a model of a sheep's liver. Have you ever seen those heads that um, sometimes psychologists have in their rooms? With It's a person's head where it's got the map on top of where the wisdom is and where all sorts of... Phrenology, you can kind of... It was a, an ancient art, if I say ancient. Hundreds of years ago, people had this art to be able to feel somebody's head and go, ah, I can tell your fortunes. Well, this was their kind of version of it. They'd actually take a sheep, cut it open, pull out its guts, sorry about this if you just had breakfast, and uh, they'd look at the liver and the stomach and the lungs and they'd be able to tell you what it was all about. And this is the kind of level that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was calling in. Now, we look at this and we think it's a little bit ridiculous, but did you know this is making a comeback? Not, not the sheep's guts, but actually since lockdown, and they think it's probably lockdown that kind of spurred this on, that people have started looking more and more and more into the esoteric ways to find out their future and find out what's going on. Do you know, especially young people, and this is what really concerns me, it's reckoned because of young people and because of what they're going through, and times are tough, but they think astrology certainly is making a comeback. Really worrying times. People are concerned or afraid of what the future holds, and they want to know about what's in store for them. Maybe they can't sleep either. These are uncertain times in the TikTok world, and people get persuaded to leave their logic and their wisdom and their reasoning at the door. 
you know, there's a whole science that's grown up, sorry, there's a whole science that's grown up around all this stuff. And we're talking about astrology, but also in terms of dream interpretation. It's, it's honestly, you just have to dig a little deep on the internet. And the internet's an amazing place, isn't it? It's a scary place as well. But do you know what? When I was l- preparing for this, we were talking about prayer. And uh, I thought I'd type in um, just prayer into Google. Oh, no, it's gone again. There it is. So it says, uh, if I just type in prayer into Google, it kind of auto-suggests different things that we can talk about. So um, you can see it comes up with prayer for friends, prayer for family, prayers f- message, prayer message for a friend, prayer for healing. What's the next one? Prayer Times Cardiff. Now, actually, look, we come up, and we're actually before London. So uh, Prayer Times Cardiff, Prayer Time London. Just wanted to drop that in quickly. Um, we have a prayer time uh, tomorrow, 7 o'clock, in the church lounge. Totally get the advert in. So we got tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and we got Saturdays in the morning as well, I think about 10 o'clock. So um, just wanted to get that in before we go any further. But do you know what? When we look at dreams, the most common dream at the moment is um, having your teeth falling out. That whatever's happening in your dream, your teeth just suddenly start falling over your mouth. Has anybody had that dream? Oh, wow, you have. I wasn't expecting anybody to say yes, but it is apparently the most common dream that people have. It's, it's never happened to me. I think it's happened in real life. But... Uh, and apparently this dream, when you type it into Google, the translate, that's actually dream translation dictionaries. I'm not trying to promote these and suggest you have a look, but it's fascinating to see what people get into. It actually means that you are worried about having problems communicating. I could have made that up. <laughs> of course you're going to have trouble communicating if your teeth fall out, but it's silly. And do you know what? There's a man that uh, I, I, I turn to a lot. He's... Um, an amazing philosopher. He's one of the greatest philosophers, I think, in the last sort of 100, 150 years. Uh, this man, G.K. Chesterton. Sorry, Yuri's back up again. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. And I think this is the stage we're at at the moment. People don't believe in nothing. They're just starting to find. They're worried about the future. They're trying to find out what's going to happen in the future. And instead of turning to the God of the Bible... They turn to all sorts of craziness and strange ideas. We've got to be careful of this. As people of God, I think it's our duty to stand up and point people in the direction of the one who knows, the one who cares, and the one who can affect people's lives. But do you know what? Even his own people let him down. And I like this bit. He's, uh, he starts off saying, look, you've got to tell me what's going on. It's your job. Fine. Yeah, it's my job. Uh, but... If you do your job well, I'll reward you with all sorts of riches and wonderful things. But if you can't do your job, uh, I'm going to kill you, tear you limb from limb, destroy your family and your house. Sorted? Happy? Agree? And then they start stalling for time. And you can't blame them, can you? But this man, I don't think, can be dissuaded. It's thought that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't the one who was into um, all this esoteric stuff. I don't think he was too fond of these magicians, these sorcerers, these wise men. It could have been his father, Nabopolassar, that put these into place. And it seems like, from the way he's dealing with them, he goes from, no, 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 I'll reward you with great riches, to then the next time they try and delay, no, 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 I'm going to kill you if you don't. And then after the third time they delay, it's fine, you're dead, man. Let's round them up, get them sorted. He's not particularly patient. He wanted to get shot at these people. But he died just before, obviously two years ago, when Nebuchadnezzar took over. And we think that his sorcerers, his Uh, magicians were there, and it was just an excuse, possibly, for Nebuchadnezzar to get rid of them. So he wasn't looking for anybody to really answer his questions, I don't think. But then, then, knowing how awful this man was, a man stood up. A man stood up and didn't just say, actually, I I think I might be able to help you. He said, look, can you get me an appointment with the king, please? I need to speak to him. After knowing what he was going to do, 
the guts of the man. He wasn't even qualified in the courts of Babylon. He had a year to go until he graduated. And he said, no, no, I need an appointment. I want to speak to him. Daniel clearly knew God. Daniel clearly knew why he was there and what he was about. And he was clearly brave enough to stand in front of the king. But do you know what? He still turned to his friends. And notice how Daniel uses their Jewish names as he talks to them and talks about them in this story. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. It's amazing, isn't it? And this is where he goes next. It says, And Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek the mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Do you know what? Last week, and I keep mentioning this, but last week John talked about these names and the meanings of the names for us. And actually these names, it's amazing when you start looking at them. Instead of using Daniel, if you just read in, uh, God is my judge. Actually, if you convert these words into what their names really mean, it then reads, Then God is my judge, went to his house, and made the matter known to Yahweh is gracious, who is like God, and Yahweh will help his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning his mystery. Oh, my goodness. When you start looking at names and what a name means. So this man who was judged by God went to see Yahweh is gracious, God, who is like God, and Yahweh will help. Now you can see why he was so brave in the land of the Babylonians where he was trying to be killed by this psychopath on the throne. The whole country might have worshipped Baal at the request of Nebuchadnezzar, but you can see that Daniel certainly didn't. And he was surrounded by um, reminders all day long whenever he talked to his friends. You can see now why they used to call each other and why Daniel here uses their Israelite names instead of their Babylonian names. So these four people got together and prayed. Have you ever done this? Have you ever prayed for anybody? Have you ever said to somebody, um, yeah, I'll pray for you? And then, be honest with yourselves, I'm not going to ask for hands up, have you forgotten? I don't think they did. So when we're told in chapter 1 that Daniel had a gift of interpreting dreams, do you know what? I'm not entirely sure if Daniel knew he had that gift. We're not told, are we? We're told that he had it, and this is Daniel writing the book in hindsight, but we don't know whether Daniel was aware of the gifts. We're, we have gifts we're not aware of. So it's not like, all right, God's given me this gift. I'm going to go see Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to stand him in front of me. It's all sorted. Don't worry, lads, we got this. He was there, and he was pretty certain that God would help him, and he had his friends praying to petition God on his side. But if he wasn't aware, it didn't matter to him. If he wasn't aware that he had this gift and he was able to do what, God, what the king sorry, asked him to do, he had complete trust and faith that God would help him anyway. And if he was aware, he still asked his friends to help him. So you can see that either way with this, he had things covered. We need to remember that we are completely dependent on God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing in John 15. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to remember this as we move forward. Daniel showed faith in stating that he would tell the king his dream and then translate it. The magicians knew they couldn't do this, no matter how many sheep they killed and how many livers they looked at. They couldn't tell the king his dream. They could make some stuff up once they found out what it was or look in their scrolls and tell them what their ancestors might have told them. But he had the confidence he could do this as God's help. And he asked his friends to pray for him in the task. 
Daniel's friends must have prayed. But the passage, did you notice the passage didn't tell us? He asked them to pray. And this is why I say I don't think this passage is about prayer. It kind of, Daniel talks about the story, what the king went through, and he said, oh, right. And then Daniel asked his, king, his friends to pray, and then this happened. We don't have this big story of the prayer meeting unfolding and what they said and who was there and, and what the light was like and you know, what time of day it was. They just did it. God spoke to them, or God answered, and then things happened. Daniel was given a dream, and in translation of the dream, in a vision that night. Daniel was due to be killed. The king didn't know this yet. The king was still ready. He had his guards out looking for these wise men and, and the people of the, the court to round them up and kill them, tear them limb from limb. But Daniel showed faith in his friends and in God. Would God have answered Daniel's prayers without his friends praying? Yeah, I think so. But would Daniel have been given a vision if it were not for his friends? Well, I guess we'll never know, but I'm pretty sure he would have. But Daniel did show faith in his friends in sharing the problem, and that no doubt troubled him. Daniel thought it was worth sharing his concerns with his friends and trusting them to pray on his behalf. I wonder if we do this enough. How many times do we say we're going to pray for somebody? Um, it, it's, it seems like to me, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but it seems to me that sometimes it's like a, a Christian tick. That, you know, when you say, um, I don't know, to, to a friend, or you hear people talking um, who aren't churchgoers or aren't Christians, they say, oh, good luck. It's one of those things, yeah, good luck. We don't say good luck, obviously we don't believe in luck. We we'll say, hey, we'll pray for you. Oh, no, you're going through a tough time. Oh, I'll pray for you. No problem. But then, like I say, I mean, the number of times that I confess that I've forgotten, you think, no, I'll do that. I'll, go, I'll put it on my list. I'll go home and I'll pray for them. And then you don't. And you think a couple of days later, oh, no, I should have. I meant to. I think we've all been there, haven't we? I'm not oversharing again. But do you know what? Something happened a few weeks ago that really challenged me on this. And I was sharing with a friend actually in this room um, that, you know, how things are going. And uh, they asked me how things were. And then, it all, you know, as it does, things kind of tumble out. And they think, oh, man, I didn't think I was that bad off. But then they said, do you what? They didn't actually say, I'll pray for you. The next thing I knew, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and they just started praying there and then. What a massive comfort that was. What an amazing thing to do. To think that, oh, okay, you know, great, they said they'd, they'd talk to God. But actually, no, no, there and then, put the hand on my shoulder and approached the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and brought my problems to him and asked for his help. Why do we put it off? Why do we wait? It trips off the tongue far too easily, doesn't it? Like when somebody says, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. You're not. You're dying on the inside. But yeah, I'm fine. I'll pray for you. Great. Whether we know that somebody's praying for us isn't even the point. It's nice to know. It's even nice to hear. But the most important part, the most significant part of this is it actually happens. Somebody approaches the almighty God on your behalf. And I've got to say, this is where things start to broaden a little bit. I was going to say to a broader church, but that, no, I shouldn't say that. But I think when we talk about prayer... How do we do it? And that could be a whole series of sermons on itself, so I'm not going to sort of delve into that too much. But do you know what? There are different types of prayer that we can offer. And again, going back to Google, I love Google. It's hilarious sometimes. You can type in anything, and it tells you what, maybe not the answer, but it'll tell you what people think is the answer at the time. Do you know what? I typed in types of prayer, and the number of results that came up was, ah, there are 10 types of prayer. And then somebody has no, there's four types of prayer. No, actually, there's three types of prayer. What are we talking about? It came up and said there are ten types of prayer. Prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of confession, prayers of vows, prayers of quiet reflection, prayers for help, prayers for healing, intercessory prayer, prayers for transformation, prayers of blessing. 
I wonder if Daniel's friends are worried about which kind of prayer they were offering. I know that a lot of people kind of subscribe to the four type of prayer model. And it's not that you, have, you choose from your Swiss Army knife of prayer which prayer you're going to use that day. You just kind of cover all the bases, don't you, when you go through. So there's the ACTS model. Have you seen that? The ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. It just helps you to formulate your prayer and kind of cover what you need to cover instead of rambling on and forgetting what you were going to say. I think, uh, Rob, you taught us the teaspoon method, didn't you, a while ago? TSP, Thanks, Supplication, and Praise. Sorry, thank you, sorry, and please, thank you. Obviously, somebody listened. And I, sorry, Rob. I do apologize. And do you know what? I've often seen differences in who we pray to. And that sounds awful. Now, don't, don't judge me just yet. But obviously, we're praying to the one almighty God. But we know we have God in three persons. We have the Trinity. Do we pray to God the Father? Do we pray to God the Son, Jesus? Do we, how do we do this? If only somebody would give us the answer. Well, do you know what? Steve already has. And thank you, Steve. I say Steve has. Steve has pointed us towards the answer in the Bible. It says, we have been taught to pray very clearly. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And you said it already, didn't you? And do you know what? Steve prefaced it. I was going to get them all to say it, Steve. And you beat me to it. Because I love to hear the different ways that people say it. And you went for the traditional route, which is fantastic. But it's, it's amazing the people who say uh, you and the people who say thy. Thine. And it gets very old-fashioned. I love it. I go for the thines and the theys and the these. Our Father who art in heaven. Surely that solves it, doesn't it? We pray to our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. It's the holy, one holy God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in those first five, four or five lines, we've covered all the bases as far as Daniel's concerned. He's praying to God the Father. He knows who God is. He's our heavenly Father. And holy is his name. And then he says, your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, I think this is so important. So, so important. In John, if I can find it, it says, um, John chapter 16, verse 25. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. This is Jesus talking. Until the hour is coming when I will no, no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. Now, do not say that you will ask, um, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Jesus is saying, look, you can ask me and I can ask the Father, but actually I'm not going to do it for you on your behalf. You have a direct line. You have a direct line to the Father. You can approach him at any time. Can you imagine that? Not just the King of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Can you imagine knowing that your prayer, no matter what you say, no matter when you say, no matter where you are, is being answered and listened to straight away. Can you imagine that with our current king? I reckon if you wrote him a letter, and made it look as posh as you could, and sent the letter to King Charles, Buckingham Palace, even if it got there, I doubt he would read it. I'm not saying because he doesn't care, because he's got too much to do. But our God in heaven has never got too much to do that he can't give time to us. And this prayer, I, it's, not, it's not a magic recipe. It's not um, an incantation that we can say and power comes from it. I know that it's, great, it's honestly fantastic that we can say it together and we can know it off by heart. And then we can say, Our Father who art, in hallowed, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it is a great reminder of all those parts of the prayer and who God is. But it doesn't have to be said like that. You know, I, used to, I think I've said this before. I used to work in a Catholic school. And there, they used to say it with the students every morning. It was fantastic. 
you know, these, these children weren't necessarily from church backgrounds or anything else, but I got to stand in front of 30 children every morning. Let, right, let's, let's say, well, not the Lord's Prayer. They called it the Our Father, but let's say the Our Father together. And do you know what? It still catches me out. Sorry, I shouldn't, yeah. It still catches me out. Do you know what? We carry on too far. We add a bit more to it. I like the way it's like this, this Lord's Prayer. It's amazing. So let's add a little bit to the end just because it could be improved. But it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. No, I keep doing that as well. And every time in assembly, when the whole school will be chanting the Lord's Prayer, but thine, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, there'll be a little person at the back, me, going, for thine is the, no, it's, yes it is, but shh. Because they stop at the wrong place. The Bible stops and deliver us from evil. And then the last bit, the doxology, the kind of praise at the end, is added on by us. I'm not saying it's wrong, it's a lovely thing to put on, but uh, just be careful if you ever go to a different church. But prayer is a powerful weapon, isn't it? And thank goodness, thank God, that we can approach him at any time and we know that he is listening. Do you know what? There's um, a situation that I'm not sure you're aware of, and it's, it's an awful situation. I think talking about prayer, we need to pray, add prayer to this situation and pray for this situation and pray for this person. It's a really worrying sign of the times. Yuri, if I could have the screen back up, please. Um, this situation here, uh, this is in um, Birmingham, I believe. Um, and do you know what? It didn't make the national headlines, and you can almost see why. This actually, I had to dig up in the Birmingham Post. This woman um, got stopped by police because she was stood on a pavement. The times are coming, people. She was stood there, and it, she doesn't, it, you can't see her face in this one, but you can see she's quite respectably dressed. She's not there, obviously trying to deal drugs or anything like that. But the police stopped her and said, excuse me, what are you doing? And this woman, Isabel Vaughan Spruce, was arrested. Why am I telling you this? Well, the story goes like this. This is how the newspaper reported it in Birmingham Mail. In footage captured on the street, a police officer is heard asking Miss Vaughan Spruce, what are you doing here today? She tells him, I'm just standing here. The officer responds, why here of all places? I know you didn't live nearby. I don't know how he knew that. She replies, but this is an abortion center. And the police officer says, oh, that's why you stood here. Are you part of this protest? Are you praying? Can you imagine asking somebody that who's just stood on the corner of the street, just minding their own business, excuse me, are you praying? She denies carrying out a protest before adding, um, I, I might have been praying in my head, but not out loud. She then is searched by a female officer and arrested on suspicion of failing to comply with a public spaces protection order. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. This is the way things, this isn't made up, this isn't some distant country, this isn't some state in America where strange things happen. This is Birmingham. This is a couple of hours up the road. Do you know what? Prayer is a powerful weapon, but do you know what? The enemy knows it. The enemy knows it's effective, that we have a direct line to God. At any time we want it, any time we need it, we can approach God on his throne and bring him our troubles and our cares. I bet she was praying when she got arrested. So the story, of mess- the story here is a message of hope. It applies not only to Israel in the Old Testament, but our identity in Jesus Christ. I believe the time is coming, sadly, when this will apply to us. I think, you know, people question this. Why are you having a carol service outside? While we can, because we can, because people need to hear this. Can you imagine the days when we have our carol service, our prayer meeting outside, and the police rock up with the blues and twos blaring? Excuse me, what are you doing here? What do you think you're doing? Did you, did you just pray? 
We're being forced to bow to false gods and idols, and yet we're beginning to see, or we're not being forced yet, but we're beginning to see mandated speech. We're being told who, how we can talk to people, how we can't talk about people, how we need to refer to people and everything else. We see people being cancelled for saying the wrong thing, or at least the perceived wrong thing, or more worryingly, not saying the things that are perceived by culture at the moment to be correct. You know, Daniel had it bad. I'm not saying things are, have improved or things are as bad as they were. But Daniel, uh, the king told Daniel, if you don't bow to the statue, if you don't worship the way I tell you, you will be thrown into the furnace and you will die. Did he stop? Another chance. We begin to see people arrested, maybe not thrown into the fire yet, but arrested certainly. But do you know what? We have the privilege of hindsight in this whole story, and I, I'd, I'd like to uh, remind myself of this, and I hope you do too, that whenever we go through these stories, I know they're really familiar, aren't they? I'm sure we've done these stories, like uh, John was saying yesterday. What do you call them? Flanagrams. Flanagrams. Flanagraphs. We used to call them felt boards. Uh, maybe. Fl- well, my mum's corrected me now, so I better go with it. But. Um, <laughs> As a child growing up in the Heath Evangelical Church, I'm sure they call them felt boards, so that's what I'm going to call them. But we are so familiar with these stories, aren't we? It's, it's, it's something that we get used to, and we've kind of seen this. But if you see it from Daniel's point of view, this is the first part. He didn't know that God was going to come through for him. And I want you to see that. He didn't know that he wasn't going to be torn limb from limb. He didn't know, like us. And it's easy to sort of read the end of the story. or know the story so well that when you start reading it again, you think, oh, yeah, Daniel's fine. It's okay. Well, hang on a minute. You didn't know that. And then when he was thrown into the lion's den, he didn't know he was going to be okay. When he was thrown into the fiery furnace, he didn't know he was going to be okay. We know that now, but this man had such bravery, such guts, because he knew God was on his side. We can read chapter 1 and chapter 2, knowing that Daniel is faithful to God, and God prevails in the famous scenes and the Sunday school stories that we know so well, and whatever they were presented on, certainly not projectors. He didn't know each situation was going to work out, but he chose to believe and trust in God. In fact... I will go through these. So I'm just very conscious of the time, so I will stop these. Sorry, Yuri, if we can put them back up. Uh, I urge them, first of all, that, peti- uh, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving are made for all people. Okay, I just want you to remind you this, that actually prayers are important, but make sure they are offered for all people. I'd like to think that uh, Isabel, if I can call her that, it's very formal, isn't it? Informal. When she was arrested, I hope she wasn't just praying for her safety, but for the police officers that arrested her. And in that day, you will ask in my name, and I will not ask the beha- Father on your behalf. But you know what? This is, um, this is one of my favorite preachers. Uh, the man's called Vody Baucom, and just an amazing American preacher that says things in the way only an American can. He doesn't live in America anymore. He's actually moved to uh, Zambia, and he's got a, a ministry out there. But he said it's just a privilege just to be heard by God. You ever thought of that? Oh, gosh. They're not coming, are they? I thought it was the sirens then after everything I'd said. <laughs> I know we're live on YouTube, but this is quite worrying now. It's a privilege to be heard by God, just to be heard by God, even if he doesn't answer your prayer. He is being better to you just by listening to you and just by hearing you when you pray. He goes on to say, and I can put the whole quote on the board, uh, if I can find it just a moment. He says, it's a privilege to be heard by God, just to be heard by God, even if he does not answer your prayer. He is being better to you than you deserve just by hearing your prayer when you pray. How dare we expect that God owes us a hearing? And I think sometimes we take this too lightly, don't we? And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, walking into exam halls and thinking, oh, no, I've got to pray quickly. Oh, please help me with this exam. This is terrible. How dare we expect that he's going to hear us? He doesn't owe us anything except death. 
And justly so, we can't argue with that. He owes us death. But we can answer, we can approach him at any time we want. And it's not just a privilege, but a comfort to be heard by God, whether he hears you or not. And do you know what? I, I, I'm, I've been told by so many people in the past, it's like, oh, did, did God answer your prayer? How do things work out then? No, it didn't go the way I planned. Oh, maybe he didn't pray hard enough. What? Pray hard enough? What on earth? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke tells us in chapter 22, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So he's starting to use the words that he taught them when, they were, when he was praying, do not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops, falling, drops of blood falling to the ground. Don't tell me to pray harder. Don't tell me that if you are in God's favor, he will answer your prayers. Don't tell me it matters who you are or what situation you're in. Whoever you are and wherever you are, you can approach the one true living God who will hear you. Do you know what, there's actually, you can read some of these stories in the Bible sometimes, and scientists, scientists will start to say, oh, no, 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 well, oh, you poor Christian, you believe things in the Bible, how awful, that's terrible, you poor thing. It didn't happen that way, that can't happen. Do you know what they've recently found out, and it's a fairly recent discovery, that you can sweat blood. It's a condition called hemato, oh, no, hematohydrosis. You don't know. We'll go with it. So hematohydrosis, basically, you are, it happens very rarely in conditions of extreme stress, of extreme anguish. It isn't just like, oh, I'm worried about an exam. It's just like, oh my goodness, this is the end of everything. I'm so stressed. And literally, blood can start coming out of your pores. This is Jesus, the Son of God, praying. He was so anguished. He was so fearful. He was so stressed that Jesus, the Son of God, was sweating droplets of blood. Don't tell me to pray harder. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. So he asked them to stay up with him, asked them to pray with him. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. It can be easy to think, can't it, that our prayers aren't heard. It could have been easy for Daniel to think, great, I get my friends praying, but I've still got to stand in front of the king. Oh, my word, he's angry. But you know what? Jesus' prayers weren't heard, were they? At least not in this situation. If at all possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go through what he was going to go through. He knew how awful it was going to be. He knew the price he had to pay. And God said, no, you're doing it. God did not answer his prayers. He answered them in a way that suited him to benefit us. And I'm grateful for that. Jesus prayed so sincerely, he sweated blood. But still his prayers weren't answered. And I'm glad. Imagine what it would have been like the other way around if God had said, yes, okay, that's fine. We'll find another way. There was no other way. Jesus was the only way. The only way we can come here today, the only way we can stand before God with any standing at all that isn't our own, the only way we can approach the God of the universe on his throne and be able to bring any concern we have to him at any time of day and he will listen is because of what Jesus did. It's because 
Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, died on our behalf, paid the price that we could not pay, spilled the blood that we could not spill. And even if we could, we wouldn't be good enough. He was the perfect sacrifice that paid the price for what we've done. It's a privilege to be heard by God. It's a privilege to come here this morning. And you know what? That privilege is given to us by God, through God, and for the glory of God. Let's remember that as we move into a time of communion this morning. Amen.